deadly heat wave. Paramedics and dispatchers describing it as the worst they've ever seen. The emergency backlog that led to long waits, possibly contributing to dozens of deaths. The end of the mask mandate. Right now, we're in a place where we can start to get back together again. New freedoms in BC's restart plan in place by July 1st. And the return to travel. COVID-19 has simply been the biggest challenge we as an aviation industry have ever faced. What YVR is doing to get people flying again. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. BC's historic June heat wave has turned deadly to a shocking degree. 233 deaths were reported to the BC Coroner's Service from Friday to Monday, 80% more than a normal four-day period. And many of those deaths are suspected to be heat-related. As the Matagahi reports, one particular tragedy is shining another harsh light on the crisis in BC's emergency health services. When I walked into their house, it was stifling hot. An hour and a half and no response from 911. While inside this Burnaby house, a 60-year-old woman lying unresponsive in the excruciating heat was in dire and immediate need of help. The neighbor came over and said, my wife is having distressed breathing. She's having a really hard time breathing. At one point late Monday night, they debated calling a cab. And before an ambulance was able to finally arrive. She had already, there was nothing left. There was no breathing, no pulse. For most, the three-day heat wave, which broke temperature records, was unbearable. For others, it has now proved to be deadly. The toll keeps rising. Sudden death calls during the heat wave now in the hundreds. A large number of the calls that we're going to are seniors that live alone. And uh, our officers are finding that when they are entering uh, the buildings, uh, the, the rooms that they're living in are in the 40-degree temperature level. We've never seen anything like this and we're pleading with anybody who has an elderly family member, a vulnerable neighbor, please give them a call, check in on them uh, to make sure that they're okay. But this was forecast and today the Premier was asked if more warning could have saved lives. Fatalities are part of life. The public was acutely aware that we had a heat problem uh, and we were doing our best to break through all of the other noise to encourage people to take steps to protect themselves. He later commented that he could have been more compassionate. Last night nobody knew that we needed them because we couldn't talk to anybody. It may take days to know for sure how many more may have perished from heat-related illness. Things could have been different if, if Somebody had answered the phone. And it's too late to know how many could have been saved. Amadagahi. A major part of the problem, the ongoing crisis in staffing and response times that have been gripping BC's emergency health services. Yeah, before the heat wave even began, Global News reported on overworked paramedics and the shortage of ambulances. Now, with the system past the breaking point, other first responders are taking matters into their own hands. It was here at Fire Hall Number no. 5 in Vancouver that a desperate family brought their loved one after waiting two hours for an ambulance. Firefighters tried to save the person, but it was too late. The person was in a cardiac arrest. Uh, our chief officers performed CPR on that patient. 
uh, and unfortunately they succumb to their injuries. On Monday, amid the scorching heat, countless people were unable to get an ambulance. 911 operators posted this video. Between the heat wave, the province-wide restart, and a 911 operator staffing shortage, there simply aren't enough of us. People sought help at fire halls across Metro Vancouver, but many of those halls were empty as first responders were out on calls. Some firefighters took on the role of paramedics, taking people to hospital. North Vancouver City Fire Chief Greg Schalk told Global News they were forced to transport two people to hospital on Monday night. Both were in critical condition as a result of the extreme heat. One was taken to hospital using a rescue truck. The other was transported with the assistance of an RCMP vehicle. Vancouver police officers were also faced with troubling situations and difficult choices. Uh, due to the immense call volume that all first responders are facing right now, uh, BC Ambulance Service wasn't immediately available. VPD officers made the decision to transport a man to hospital uh, themselves and the transport was done in the back of a, uh, a police vehicle. The BC Paramedics Union says the situation is unacceptable and other first responders should not have to do their jobs. Putting them in, uh, in, in horrible situations that they're making, if that's true, that they're making choices to have to do that, um, and that's not good for the patient because uh, that's detrimental to patient outcomes potentially, and um, that's uh, absolutely not part of the system. It's not uh, acceptable. Paramedics are calling on Health Minister Dix to listen to emergency workers who are on the ground, those who can tell him firsthand about the challenges they're facing and possible solutions. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Jordan Armstrong joins us now live from downtown Vancouver with more on the overwhelming number of calls to 911 and those e-com workers. Jordan, this is all connected and people need to know it's impacting all of our emergency services. That's absolutely right, Chris. And quite simply, the system overall just can't keep up with the demand. Ecom recently experienced its busiest day in its entire 24-year history, fielding more calls on Saturday than they did the night of the last Stanley Cup riot. And those significantly higher than normal call volumes have kept up. Ecom confirms that although they typically answer 911 calls in five seconds or less, on Monday, the average wait was 74 seconds, with the longest wait being 17 minutes just to get 911 to answer. It's important to note that there would be additional delays for those calling for an ambulance. Ecom doesn't dispatch ambulances, BCEHS does, but the Ecom call taker cannot hang up and move on to the next person until BCEHS picks up. No word on specifically how long those delays were, but evidently they were significant and contributed to the system's overall failure. Now, you're about to hear something quite rare in British Columbia, and that is a union and an employer saying pretty much the same thing. That is not acceptable. We are used to answering calls within seconds, not minutes, and this is absolutely unacceptable for the citizens of British Columbia. I've been taking calls from our, our members that have been on the floor. You can hear it in their voice. They're feeling helpless. They're feeling like they are stretched too thin. Um, is this the breaking point? For many, it is. Ecom's purpose is to provide quick, efficient 
emergency communication services to British Columbians. And so when we're seeing wait times like we have been for the past several days, it's very difficult for our staff to know that calls are waiting, to know that people are waiting and need their help and they are tied up on the line with other calls waiting to transfer those. It's devastating for our staff and it's taking a mental and emotional toll on our people. Now, Ecom says it's trying to bring in more people, and that includes calling back recent retirees. Chris, I've been hearing from inside sources all day, and overall, there's a real sense of despair and fear. Fear because if this is how the system responds to a heat wave, they wonder, what's it going to be like after a major earthquake? Chris? Yeah, that's a fear I think we all have at this moment. Jordan, thank you very much for that. And let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now for the latest on the heat wave. Christy, it felt a little bit different today, but how does it compare to yesterday? Mm -hmm. Well, Chris, yeah, you're right. So waking up this morning, you probably felt a little bit more marine flow and that uh, reduced the temperatures only by a touch. And it really depended on where you were. We still had record breaking conditions across the province. But here's a look at the conditions today. Metro Vancouver dropped by only a degree. But areas like Pitt Meadows, 32 today, whereas yesterday they broke a record at 41. Abbotsford also saw a significant drop. They were in the human eggs values at 48 yesterday, today 39. So huge relief for some people. But Look at Nanaimo, 41 with the human eggs values there. And overnight lows are also going to be high tonight, dropping down to only 19.20, so very little relief. And look at this, triple all-time records. Yes, four of them so far today, likely some more. Certainly, I counted the daily records. We're potentially up to about 50, 55 daily records on top of it. But Lytton, officially the third, well, the Canadian uh, hotspot at 49.4 degrees, Chris for the third day in a row. Amazing. Thanks, Christy. And the heat wave has dealt a devastating blow to a Chilliwack pet store, which has lost hundreds of pets. The reptile room was hit by a perfect storm of deadly circumstances. Its air conditioner gave out and couldn't be fixed until a part came in. In the meantime, the heat wave hit. Despite the frantic efforts of the owners, hundreds of animals died. Ideally, our air conditioner would have been fixed on Monday and the problem would have been resolved then. Um, I guess it was possibly wishful thinking that it would have been fixed when they came in for the second time. Um, after that, um, I, we purchased everything that we could, in my opinion. We got swamp coolers because we couldn't find any more air conditioning units, which then you have to combat humidity. Um, extra fans, uh, people were donating things to us at that point already because our customers, I mean, we have amazing, loyal customers. The loss would have been even worse had the public not stepped up to take some of the animals home. And local business Griffin's Security also gave the store the use of its air-conditioned classroom, which saved hundreds more of the animals. Now to the pandemic in B.C. And as of midnight tomorrow, the next part of B.C.'s reopening plan will go into action. The mass vaccination program and the pandemic circuit breaker have together flattened the curve enough that we will be able to take off masks in many places and once again visit more people and places. Richard Zussman joins us live at the Save on Foods Memorial Centre in Victoria where a major event, remember those, with fans even, will be happening. It's been so long, Richard. 
It sure has, Sophie, and that big change happens July 1st. Fans will be in the stands here to watch Canada attempt to qualify for men's basketball at the Olympics. But the bigger change is all about masks, something that will impact every single British Columbian. A return to normal. We are ready to um, bring us back together. On July 1st, Thursday, British Columbia will be moving to step three of the restart plan. The provincial state of emergency set to end after 470 days. Masks will no longer be required in public places, including on public transit, but they will be recommended for those who are not fully vaccinated. I'm going to be wearing a mask if I'm in a, with a group of people that I do not know. If I'm on a bus, if I'm on a ferry, if I'm on an airplane. The question for many is what will happen when someone refuses to wear a mask at a business asking those to keep them on. People have recognized the importance of the things that we do to protect ourselves and others. And uh, we've come uh, to accept and understand where masks are, are used. And I think there's a comfort level now that may not have been there. Starting Thursday, there will be no limit on the number of people at outdoor, indoor social gatherings at private residences. Outdoor event capacity will be 5,000, or 50% of original capacity, whichever is larger. Indoor events will be 50% capacity, or 50 people, whichever is larger in that case. What we're trying to do is get out of the prescription business and, and say what we expect is people have up to 50% capacity. Step three means nightclubs can come back, but no dancing. Casinos can reopen at 50% capacity. Fairs and festivals will return this summer with safety plans in place. Thursday means no group size limits at bars and restaurants, but no mingling between tables. And indoor fitness classes can operate at normal capacity. I think it's very important for all of us to respect that we're in different places. And not everybody is ready to let um, things go uh, at the same pace. As for travel, BC throwing the doors open to anyone across the country. We'll be welcoming people from other provinces, preferably vaccinated people. And when we're talking events, one of the big ones people have eyes on, the PNE at the end of the summer. Expect to find out more details tomorrow at 7 o'clock in the morning, but they will have a modified version of the pair. Fair, but no capacity limit, Sophie. So we'll have to mm -hmm. wait till tomorrow to see exactly what a fair post-COVID looks mm -hmm. like. A lot of people will be looking forward to that. All right, thanks for that, Richard Zussman in Victoria. And we've earned those new freedoms. Here's a look at today's COVID-19 numbers. We have just 29 new cases. That brings BC's total to 147,578, with only 876 of those cases active. 110 people are in hospital, 34 of those in the ICU. And thankfully, there are no new deaths to report. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria right now. Keith, I don't know if you've missed any one of the briefings from Dr. Henry and Adrian Dix over the past several months, but today's marked a milestone. Yeah, I've not missed a single briefing in more than 17 months, I think, of probably close to 200 briefings. But today was a milestone. It was the last briefing from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix, at least the last uh, scheduled briefing. We went from daily to three times a week to twice a week to now once a week and now basically none a week. Here's uh, Adrian Dix explaining that while the briefings will stop, the information flow will not. But you're not, we're not going to have our, the regular briefings, although obviously, um, uh, I don't know about Dr. Henry, but I'm not taking any time off anytime soon. 
so you'll uh, you'll obviously be able to ask us uh, questions. I suspect there is the largest immunization program in BC history that we're in the midst of, and we're going to continue to inform about all of these questions. You're going to have access to the dashboard, ask access to uh, information, uh, um, possibly even before three o'clock. Now, way back at the beginning, Chris, almost at the beginning, back in March 2020, I wrote a column pointing out that this briefing had become the most popular TV show uh, on a weekly or daily basis. Many people were flocking to it on our station, on BC1, on our various platforms. And I pointed out, we want this thing to end. And when it does end, that will be a sign that we're in a very good place, that we're coming out of the pandemic. Well, guess what? It's ending and we're in a very good place. We're finally at that point. Feels that way. Thanks very much, Keith. All right. A family recovers from a near-fatal plane crash. He saved his life, he saved my sister's life, and he saved the people in the house's lives. The brave actions of his father, the pilot, and the coincidences that kept it from being worse, next on the NewsHour. A fire at Vancouver's famous Wreck Beach and the naked truth about what sparked it coming up on the NewsHour. And much more than a cool-off, the inspiration behind the Marathon Spirit Orca Swim off the West Coast later. Right now, though, we are learning more about who was on board a plane that crashed into a residential neighborhood on Vancouver Island Monday. The plane was owned and piloted by well-known businessman Bruce Mullen. Mullen and his daughter were both injured in the crash, but family members tell Global News someone special was watching out for them. Kylie Stanton reports. I was able to talk with them and uh, get the story. And what a story it is. Yeah, he saved his life, he saved my sister's life, and he saved the people in the house's lives. Brandon Mullen's father, Bruce, and 14-year-old half-sister, Caitlin, were inside this Beach G36 Bonanza when it crashed into a residential Mill Bay neighborhood Monday afternoon. The pair were en route from Seashelt to Victoria when the plane suddenly lost altitude. He noticed that one of the cylinders uh, was overheating and then he, he looked to Caitlin and said, is your seatbelt on? What Caitlin said is that the, the engine quit and it dove right away. Mullen called Mayday and hit the beacon switch. Moments later, the plane came down, narrowly missing homes. It was actually in the rear backyard. The homeowner called 911 and raced out to the scene. Scream for my neighbor because she's a nurse. <laughs> I, I can't imagine what the two individuals involved were going through and I think they were incredibly brave. Both were taken to Victoria General Hospital and have undergone surgery for their injuries. Caitlin suffered a broken leg while Bruce has a broken leg, foot and a laceration on his left arm. They're expected to make a full recovery. And it's actually very nice and really refreshing. The family is well known in the community. Bruce co-founded Jusu, a cold-pressed juice bar in honor of his late wife Charlene, who lost her battle with breast cancer in 2012. As the news spread here, there's no doubt larger forces were at play. You know, people fall out of the sky and they're still alive. I mean, how does that happen? And so, yeah, I think somebody was watching over them for sure. My stepmother. Just the thought is difficult to put into words. So to me, when the, when the door blew open, that was like my stepmother protecting her and my dad. It's been confirmed engine failure brought the plane down. The Transportation Safety Board is not deploying investigators, only gathering information about the crash. It could be several days until the plane is extracted from the site. I'm just happy they're alive. Mullen can only call it a miracle. Too many things could have gone wrong. It was the hottest day of the year, could have caught fire right away, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But the door blew off, they got out, and a nurse was the neighbor. What a story, indeed. Incredible. 
Kelly Stanton, Global News. A search has been launched for a missing hiker on Grouse Mountain who's believed to have been out in the heat for more than two days now. Howard Moore had told friends he was planning to go for a hike, and when they didn't hear back from him, they called police. Officers located Moore's car in the Grouse Mountain parking lot. A note had been left on the vehicle that he'd gone to Skyline Trail 27 June. Teams from North Shore Rescue, assisted by a helicopter, are now looking for any sign of Moore and say that given the conditions, they are extremely worried for his well-being. The subject is, is going to be in trouble uh, because the, um, you know, they've been hiking for uh, two days now um, in extremely hot conditions. Um, and our searchers um, have only been out a few hours now, but um, already they're going to be suffering with the heat for sure. Up next, rewarding loyalty. Sometimes they might get like $10, $50 off. A survey of shoppers shows how much the cards keep customers coming back. Also tonight, we might be entering step three soon, but it's not going to be business as usual at YVR. What you need to know before you fly. Well, with the beginning of step three on Thursday, marking a return to Canada-wide travel, Vancouver International Airport is reminding us not everything will be back to normal. As Ted Chernecki reports, YVR says many pandemic protocols will still be in effect. This is more like it used to be. Vancouver International starting to buzz again, but there's a long way to go. Last week, 59,000 passengers passed through YVR. They're hoping for 75,000 a week in July. But at 75,000 a week, that's about 4 million a year and a long way from the record 26.4 million recorded in 2019. COVID-19 has simply been the biggest challenge we as an aviation industry have ever faced. While all international arrivals continue to be tested, after July 5th, if you can prove you've been fully vaccinated for at least two weeks, you can avoid hotel quarantine. And as for leaving YVR, well, expect some changes. As you proceed in uh, to the checkpoint, you'll see acrylic barriers that have been placed uh, to provide separation between passengers and screening officers. All the screening officers uh, wear gloves, which are changed uh, at every interaction, be it a physical pat-down or uh, a bag search. Here are some Return to the Skies YVR tips. Ready, make sure your passport and other travel documents are valid and absolutely know the COVID requirements where you're going. Set, because the skies are regulated by Ottawa, masks will still be mandatory. Expect extra security screening and extra steps when arriving. And fly, knowing that all retail and concessions at YVR are open with continued enhanced cleaning. And once on board. We provide hand sanitizer to all passengers on board in an individual kit that everybody receives. Because international travel will likely remain iffy for some time, airlines are focusing on domestic travel, adding destinations in B.C., for example, that they've never before serviced. Ted Chernick, Global News. Well, loyalty programs offer customers perks and rewards for their continued shopping. From points to air miles, new Canadian research highlights how important the marketing tools are for both consumers 
and for retailers. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with the details. And Thanks, Chris. Dalhousie University surveyed more than 10,000 Canadians in May on the future of the grocery sector. The results reveal we are very loyal to rewards programs, with most of us taking advantage of the chance to save money when purchasing groceries. Whether it's PC Optimum at Loblaw, more rewards with Save on Foods, or Air Miles at some Sobe stores, loyalty program rewards are typically earned at a rate of one point or more for every dollar spent. When asked how likely they are to join if a retailer introduces a new loyalty program, more than 70% of respondents answered very likely or somewhat likely, while fewer than 5% of those surveyed said unlikely. When it comes to how likely a grocery store loyalty program influences where you make purchases, more than 73% of Canadians surveyed said it was very likely or somewhat likely to impact where they buy food. Only 9% of respondents said it would be be unlikely to influence their grocery store shopping decisions. I just collect the points. Um, so far, I haven't used any points yet. Well, it's usually just money off, so sometimes save them up, get like $10, $50 off, depending on how many you have. And then sometimes when you spend enough, you can get free gifts and stuff. Oh, I know it's worth it. I mean, I know a few people who do most of their Christmas shopping by uh, just collecting their points. I mean, their Christmas dinner is all points. It's easy. You scan the card and you know, it's like finding 10 bucks lying on the sidewalk. I love it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Getting free money is always fun. Now, Global News reached out to Loblaws, Sobeys, and Save on Foods to see what percentage of shoppers participate in rewards programs and if and how they plan to enhance the programs going forward. Loblaws was the only one to respond, saying its PC Optimum program has more than 20 million members. And, quote, in 2020 alone, we gave away more than 1 billion in PC Optimum points. We're passionate about rewarding our members and are always looking at ways to ensure maximum value for our members. And the study found loyalty programs will be even more critical in the years ahead due to what's called store disloyalty. 25% of Canadians have changed where they grocery shop during COVID with some avoiding physical stores altogether and buying food through online options. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks, Anne. Coming up next, punishment in a deadly Costco assault. The sentence for the man who lost his cool shoving a senior to the ground. Also, crisis in the classroom, the state of mental health among teachers. Jail time for a man who fatally pushed an 86-year-old senior to the ground in an altercation outside of Vancouver, Costco. Grace Key has more on how the deadly incident unfolded and the sentence for Thomas Stephen Toth. 61-year-old Thomas Toth has been sentenced to 18 months in jail plus two years probation for the death of 86-year-old Orlando Ocampo. He was assaulted outside a Costco store in downtown Vancouver back in December 2017. A jury found Toth guilty of manslaughter. Toth believed Ocampo elbowed him while he and his teenage daughter were leaving Costco. Toth swore at Ocampo. Things quickly escalated. Ocampo sprayed the two with pepper spray and started leaving. He was several feet away when Toth Toth caught up with him, pushing him to the ground from behind. Ocampo died weeks later in hospital from his injuries. As aggravating circumstances, the judge noted this was an intentional act, not an accident, and that Toth followed Ocampo, who was a smaller, older man. The judge did note that Toth showed deep and sincere remorse and that he was provoked when he was pepper sprayed. 
The 18-month jail sentence does include three months for failing to appear for his initial sentencing hearing. In Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. Two longtime violent offenders have been charged with the targeted murder of another man well known to police on Halloween of 2019. The body of 26-year-old Jordan Smythe was found on the Suwali First Nation Reserve near Cultus Lake early on November 1st. Police now say he'd been shot. First-degree murder charges have now been laid against 30-year-old David Geegan and 24-year-old Darius Commodore. Both have long rap sheets. A new study has found BC teachers say their mental health has suffered dramatically during the pandemic. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the survey found teachers reporting problems at double the rate of the general public. Saved by the bell. This past school year has been a struggle. Teachers enduring constant levels of stress, just being at work. I was surprised um, at the level of deteriorated mental health that was reported. A study from the UBC School of Population and Public Health, along with the Center for Health Evaluation and Outcome Sciences, asked teachers about their experiences during the pandemic. The results shouldn't come as much of a surprise. More than two-thirds of teachers reported fewer connections with students. More than 90% reported fewer connections with colleagues and a tangible lack of support networks at work. Perhaps most alarming, almost half of teachers felt students' social and emotional needs were being compromised. The numbers add up to show a significant proportion of teachers saying they're thinking about leaving the profession. So we're in a critical teacher shortage. And so this really does speak to the need to really invest in recruitment and retention of teachers. The results of the survey have been shared with the BCTF and the provincial government. The hope is that this work can inform what next school year looks like. This was a snapshot, this was in February, but there could be long-term impacts. So that's what we think is very important. BC in a fairly unique position of not having closed schools. Although more research is needed, it's likely children and families benefited from that decision. It seems teachers paid a bigger price than many people may have realized. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The overdose crisis continues to take lives in B.C. at an astounding and heartbreaking rate. At least 160 British Columbians died during the month of May due to drug toxicity. That's the second highest number ever recorded. And that means, on average, a little more than five people lost their lives every day in May. So far this year, 851 people have died from an overdose. And testing has shown the drug supply is growing increasingly toxic with higher than ever concentrations of fentanyl, carfentanyl, and benzodiazepines. Still ahead, a swim that proves anything is possible. I'm doing more than what I thought I could do. Unlikely athletes pushing themselves well beyond their limits. And in sports, Desi's Olympic dream, the BC wrestler, hoping he can add to his wall of accomplishments with a gold medal in Tokyo. 
The Sparks Lake wildfire burning out of control outside Kamloops has more than doubled in size since this morning. That fire, suspected to be human-caused, is now 750 hectares in size, or about the size of two Stanley Parks. Nine properties have been ordered to evacuate. 47 firefighters are battling the blaze on the ground and from the air. Smoke is extreme and can be seen from Kamloops and other surrounding areas. The Sparks Lake fire broke out late Monday, and thanks to the dry and hot conditions it exploded in size quickly it's one of 31 new wildfires sparked this week across the province 18 in the last two days alone and in the lower mainland fire crews have extinguished a brush fire near wreck beach in point gray a plume of smoke was first seen rising from the beach just after 7:30 this morning the fire was burning in the dense brush near the north end of the beach on a steep hillside making it very difficult for firefighters in the extreme heat. Investigators believe the fire was started by discarded smoking material. And we have uh, concerns, obviously, about the potential for more wildfires in the coming days, Christy, because there's some lightning in the forecast. That's exactly right, and I'm going to show you which areas, but for the most part, you can expect it through central and northern B.C. Absolutely a risk. Uh, Sophie, 43 all-time records broken yesterday. Here's a quick look at the top four that are broken today. I'm sure we're going to see more as we continue to tally the numbers. As I mentioned, Lytton, 49-4, Kamloops, 46-3, Kelowna, 43-8, and Abbotsford again tying yesterday's record at 42-9. Now, tomorrow, continued relief along the coast and push of marine air into Lytton. It may not reach that 40 degree mark tomorrow, but you certainly will through the Okanagan Valley, the Thompson region, as well as the Caribou. It's not till Thursday that those areas will start to see relief. Now, now heat stroke is an emergency. Here are some of the symptoms. If you have a headache, nausea, vomiting, if your skin is dry and hot as opposed to sweating, if there's no more sweat, that is definitely cause for concern. If you have rapid breathing or heart rate, you may even lose consciousness. So this is definitely an emergency. Keep hydrated. Ways to stay safe. Keep your home cool. You may even want to put tinfoil on your windows. That reflects that solar radiation. Take a cool bath. Stay in that bath. Really drop your core temperature. Visit an air conditioning store or restaurant and call 911 or a family member. If you can't get through on 911, call a family member or a friend to get you out of your home and into some cooler air. Air quality advisory now in place for Metro Vancouver. All of the ground level ozone being trapped in our region. We're going to see this for the next 24 hours. There's the risk of thunderstorms tomorrow from northern BC right through the Thompson region and it is tinder dry. So we're talking about a, a fire danger rating that's at an extreme level for most regions and we have no significant rain in, in, the, in the forecast as far as we can see. Tomorrow for Metro Vancouver a little bit of cloud cover but overall staying dry and well above Above seasonal tonight, central windows weather window from a Soyuz, where this wasn't the official temperature, but the school uh, sign there showing 51 degrees for the students. Holy crow! That is hot, unpleasant for sure. All right, thanks, Christy. All right, and Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports and a and a family where wrestling is a family affair. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Amar Dese of uh, Surrey is off to the Olympics in a sport his father excelled in. So I'm, I'm happy that I can fulfill my dad's dream and my family's dream, but you know, I, I still know that I have a lot to accomplish. 
He's one of the top amateur wrestlers in the world, and he's looking to bring back a medal for Canada. Also coming up, pushing through barriers one stroke at a time. Marathon swimmers doing what they never thought they could. Handing out some hardware tonight, Squire. You guys are laughing here in the same studio. I don't know what happened. No, 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 no. We're just trying to get organized. I have no clue what he's laughing at. (laughs) I have no idea. A knock-knock. I'm just laughing at my own little ideas. Uh, Okay, so when you win the scoring race by lapping the field, you are going to get trophies. And tonight, Connor McDavid was named the winner of the Hart Trophy as the NHL's MVP. Just the second time in history that the winner has been a unanimous choice. Wayne Gretzky was also unanimous in 1982. McDavid also won the Ted Lindsay Award, which is basically the MVP award voted on by the players. Now, McDavid finished with 105 points. His pace was incredible. In fact, he had the highest average points per game since Mario Lemieux in 1996, when scoring goals was a bit easier. It makes you wonder how many points would McDavid had had if he had played in the wide-open 1980s like Gretzky and Lemieux got to. This is his second Hart Trophy. Austin Matthews, incidentally, was second in the voting. Should also mention that uh, Marc-Andre Fleury won best goalie, the Vesna Trophy, and the Rangers' Adam Fox won the Norris Trophy as top defenseman. And the Oilers, speaking of the Oilers again, they signed Burnaby's Ryan Nugent Hopkins, or at least they're very close to signing him to an eight-year deal worth just over $5 million per season. He has spent his entire career with the Edmonton Oilers and wants to keep it that way. Okay, England and Germany. This is kind of like the Russia-Canada of soccer. Russia-Canada and hockey, of course. And Harry Kane helped England win it 2-0. This is the second goal of the game. And he received royal approval for this goal and the win. So England will play either Sweden or the Ukraine. And they were playing in Scotland. And Emil Forsberg would score here to send this game to extra time. And in extra time, Artem Dovbik will get the winner for Ukraine. That looked very much like Harry Kane's goal. So they will play the English in the round of eight or the quarterfinals, if you like. This was tough to watch today. Serena Williams right here. Watch her left leg slipping on wet grass at Wimbledon. That hurt, and it kept on hurting until she could no longer continue. That's it. She had to quit. And Denis Shapovalov today won his first round match. Five sets over uh, Philip Koschreiber, but he did win the fifth set, 6-4. to four. All right. Three ACL tears in six years, two major surgeries, has not stopped Amr Dese from the Olympics next month. Being a wrestler, he didn't have to just fight opponents to get on the Canadian team. He had to battle pain and rehab as well. I feel great. I feel good. I'm, I'm excited. I feel mentally good. I'm in a good spot. My training has been great these last few weeks leading up. The goal is always to win. When you visit the Desse home in Surrey, you can see why Amur has that mindset. It's wall-to-wall plaques, trophies, and medals that Amur's won during his wrestling career. 
provincial championships, NCAA Pac-12 titles, and a World Junior gold medal. It's all here proudly on display, where wrestling is a major part of the Desai family DNA. Our dynamics were interesting, for sure. You know, uh, at a young age, we uh, we began training. You know, we began running hills beside our house. You know, we went for runs. Um, we had early mornings, just training most of the time. But it was it was interesting. We put a, we put a, me and my brother put a lot of holes in the wall. That's for sure. We had a lot of. Uh, we're lucky that we had a lot of uh, my dad's friends who would drywall and come by the house and fix the holes in the wall. The holes have long been fixed. The lessons learned wrestling alongside his older brother Parm helped Amur get the upper hand in countless matches and always under the watchful eye of their father, Balbir, himself a decorated wrestler in India before immigrating to Canada in the mid-1970s. When I came over in 1976, there was a Montreal Olympic going on. He was in Montreal and I, I watched all everything on TV when I was in Canada that time. That day I was, I was thinking if my family is here, I'm going to produce somebody that uh, represent me or my family or our community. Wrestling in our, in our family has gone back, you know, a couple, uh, couple generations. So um, finally being uh, at, the, at the top of the sport and being at uh, a tournament where the best of the best are, um, I think the family is going to be very excited. Um, every, everybody's gonna gonna be trying to you know th- give Amr be- uh, best wishes and uh, you know we're all gonna be routing for a medal and uh, hopefully represents uh, our country well. Amr earned his way to the Olympics by winning the heavyweight class at the national trials back in 2019. Since then, he's been working out nonstop at one of the top wrestling training centers down in Ohio. He's never been in better shape and is a strong medal contender at the Olympics. And why wouldn't he be? Now that you know the Desi family history. You know, every amateur athlete or even pro athlete would the dream is to go to the Olympics. You know, that's the pinnacle of sport. So I'm, I'm happy that I can fulfill my dad's dream and my family's dream. Jay Janower, Global Sports. Olympic qualifying basketball, Canada 97, Greece 91. That's the start of the tournament in Victoria. There you go. Good to hear. Thanks, Squire. Up next, a pod of spirit orcas exploring the waters of B.C. and why their swim has special meaning. We have some breaking news to pass along now. Highway 97 has been closed 114 kilometers south of Fort Nelson as a wildfire rages near Pink Mountain. The out-of-control fire is 3,000 hectares. Fire crews have been pulled back as the fire intensity remains high. It's believed it was caused by lightning yesterday and has grown considerably. The fire danger around the piece is currently extreme in many areas due to the hot, dry conditions. One of several we'll be watching over the next few days for sure. Well, open water swimming is not for the faint of heart, so it may surprise you to learn about a certain group of swimmers. The spirit orcas are an extraordinary pod, and as Jay Durant shows us in tonight's This Is BC, they're proving that developmental disabilities shouldn't hold anyone back. This is the worst part. What's the worst part? Maybe it's the cold 10-degree water, or perhaps the strong currents. Or it could be the seaweed obstacle course. None of this has slowed down the spirit orcas. So it's all about myth busting. Susan Simmons challenged her group of eight swimmers, and they have all succeeded while facing their own challenges. Think about autism, things on the autism spectrum, learning delay, uh, learning disabilities, PTSD. 
These are not short swims, a number of different stages, up to 20 kilometers a day, all part of a planned route across some vast stretches of open water around BC. Over this year, I'm doing a very tough swim from Jordan to Colwood. The most favorite thing that I've done throughout the year is uh, the Great Bear Swim. Oh, my leg! It's obviously physically demanding. I'm not doing very well, am I? But managing their own varying levels of anxiety has been the hardest part. Okay, let's keep going. Building up the nerve to take the plunge. I'm the king of the ocean. And finding the courage to do it amongst ocean life. You're swimming in waterways with orcas, humpbacks, uh, all kinds of wonderful creatures of the sea that most of us would go, oh no, I can't, that's too scary. <laughs> Next summer, they'll swim the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Three years from now, they're hoping to cross the English Channel each stroke taking them further away from that time when this might have seemed impossible. I'm doing more than what I thought I could do. Pretty proud of myself, actually. Jay Durant, Global News. That is awesome. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people should know about, email your ideas to j at this is BC at globalnews.ca. All right, one more night of heat. Call a friend, call a neighbor. Make sure you check in on your, your family. So important. All right, thanks very much for watching, everybody. Yeah. Have a great night. <laughs> thanks, dudes. What do you mean?